Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com, where Inside Carolina members get 10% off their everyday online orders. Get ready for another edition of Inside Carolina Radio. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes. And Jason Staples makes his inaugural appearance on the Inside Carolina Radio show this season. Jason, welcome to the show. Good to be back. Let's get right to it. Quarterback position is something that everybody's talked about. You're intimately familiar with the position, at maybe in, on the high school level, but also the college level. Your take on the approach this season and how it may be different for Larry Fedora and his staff than it was last season. It's miles different, obviously, um, just because you don't have one Mitchell Trubisky back there uh, who could be your you know franchise and your security your security blanket. And actually, in a lot of ways, it goes back. It's going to be closer to I think what they what they had with uh, Marquise Williams the the prior year in a lot of respects. And you know you might say that's just because you know Brandon Harris is a better runner than than Trubisky. And, you know, Trubisky, not quite as natural a runner as as Marquise, but it's not even it's not quite as simple as that, because the other factor and this is something actually I I talked to both the UNC and the Clemson staffs this offseason and both staffs actually talked about how they had to be very careful about how they ran their quarterbacks this last year, because both staffs had first round quarterbacks and then didn't have a clear backup behind that quarterback that they knew could come in and, and play at that kind of level. So, you know, two years ago, if Marquise Williams went down, well, you know, you still have Trubisky. <laughs> You're still doing pretty well, right? So you can you feel secure running the wheels off the guy and using his running talent and all of that ability to create as a dual threat quarterback that because you, know, you trust the guy behind him. And that's where actually having some depth at the quarterback position really matters. Same thing with Clemson. You know, we saw a couple of years ago what happened when Clemson, when, when Deshaun Watson went down and it was disastrous, right? And then he stays healthy those two years, the two years he stays healthy and they go to the national championship game both years. Well, and they, they told me last year, the Clemson people told me last year, listen, we, we basically, we, we tried not to run Deshaun in games where we felt like we didn't need to. And we, you know, we, we definitely held that as a, as a trump card for those big games and they ran him a lot more then because they needed to to win. But other than that, they're not going to put that guy at risk because that's your franchise. Same thing, this, you know, I was told the same thing by the UNC staff. We, you know, we can't run. We couldn't afford to run Trubisky last year all that much is what they're saying. Because if Mitch goes down, then who, who comes in? You got a bunch of freshmen, basically. So this year it's a little different because this year you've got a hired gun coming in with the, with the, with the graduate transfer. Brandon Harris, if he wins the job, and I, I think we can presume that he should win the job, he's a, a senior who's got experience playing, playing in the SCC. You know, he's, he's got some battle scars from, from live bullets versus a sophomore and a couple redshirt freshmen who just didn't look quite ready in the spring. If he doesn't win the job, that's, you know, that's fine. That means that one of those guys either took a big step forward or he disappointed. But if Harris wins the job as you know, as he presumably should, you feel like with Elliot Surratt and Bird behind him, that separation is is probably not so big that you just worry. Oh man, if Harris goes down for a game, we're toast. If he goes down for two games, there goes the season. No, you feel like, well, if he goes down, I mean, at least we 
practiced all spring with the other three guys, and one of those guys should be ready. So that allows you to take a little bit different approach as, a, as an offensive play caller and bring some of the dual threat stuff back into the offense, which, you know, last year you didn't need it as much because Trubisky was so dynamic as a thrower, but it does allow you to bring some of that other stuff back in to compensate for not having a Trubisky as a thrower. So that, that, that changes the position quite a bit. So hypothetically, Jason, let, let's say that Brandon Harris steps onto the practice field on August 2nd and he is better than anyone ex- expected him to be. And that while the younger guys made some strides, they're still not quite ready. If there is a significant gap between Harris and the other three, maybe not to the extreme that Mitch was with the younger guys last year, but in a similar fashion, does that change things? Does that revert things back to maybe how it was last year where you don't want to run as much? Or it sounds as though you're saying that the margin separating the talent at that quarterback position will largely determine how much the staff is is willing to run the quarterback. Is that accurate? That's partly true. Yes. I mean, it's it's also partly true though. In in terms, it's also it also is affected by what kind of quarterback you're looking at as your starter. So if you've got Marquise Williams and you got nobody behind Marquise. Marquise is not a number two draft pick as a thrower, right? You still have to run him to some degree in order to get what you need out of him, but you still have to be a little careful, a little more careful in picking your spots. But uh, and 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 so it does affect it. But you still have to play to the quarterback's strengths. To, so that that's another factor. The other thing though is it's not just about talent differential; it's about experience, right? So if you've got uh, a a guy like you know. Last year, you throw in a freshman, Nathan Elliott, or a true freshman, Surratt or, or Logan Bird, those guys don't have the time in the system to be, to be trusted, right? So now, even if the, ga- the talent gap, even if the performance gap is, is bigger than expected, you still feel like those guys can go out and at least run the offense, right? So if you, if you lose a Brandon Harris for however long, if he gets hurt, you still feel like you've got a kid you can win with that that can run the offense to the point where he's at least able to get the ball to playmakers and so on. So I think even if Harris goes out and just lights it up, they'll probably run him a little bit more, partly because of his strengths, you know, his, the way his strengths line up. I mean, he's not Trubisky as a thrower. He's a he's a talented thrower. Don't get me wrong, but Trubisky is, is rare. You don't have a whole lot of number two draft picks come through programs. So that you still play to his strengths, but and I think again, the having a little bit of experience on the bench matters. Greg, let me ask you a question before we double team Jason for the rest of this show. You wrote the article on Inside Carolina uh, yesterday, day before, about Fedora's offense, and he's talked about it over the years. He wants to be balanced. It doesn't necessarily mean you know the same amount of runs as passes every game, um, but he also has a system, and he spoke a lot about how. While they'll still adhere to his system, they're going to do a lot of things differently with a guy like Harris, kind of like what Jason's talking about, than they did with Trubisky. More so like Mitch, uh, or excuse me, like Marquise. Your take on how that'll play out going into the season. I mean, we haven't seen Brandon Harris. They haven't either at this point. It sounds like a work in progress for what type system or what type approach that Fedora and his staff will take going into fall camp? Yeah, well, a couple of things on that, Tommy. Number one, 
really a, a story. I've, I've told it several times, but I always find it fascinating is that when Fedora got his first offensive coordinator job at Middle Tennessee back in 1999, he had to make the determination of, hey, do I go with the triple option that Fisher DeBerry ran at Air Force, or do I try to implement this new scheme that I've been working on ever since his time at Baylor? And he decided that West Counts, quarterback there, was good enough to be able to do what he wanted to do, as well as the fact he didn't have enough running backs that were high quality to feel comfortable doing the triple option. The problem with Counts, though, as, as Larry <laughs> has told this story over the years, is that he didn't have a big arm. And so what he knew he was going to have to do is throw pretty much everything to the boundary. So not to the big part of the field, but to the, the short side of the field, because that's where he could be most accurate. And so they designed the offense around that concept. And so what Larry would do a lot of times is they would put kind of decoys, essentially, at wide receiver to the field side just to pull defensive backs and linebackers away from the boundary. And he would joke, Larry would joke about how Counts led the nation in completion percentage, I think in 2001, at close to 72%. But 88% of those completions were to the boundary. And so it was just a heavy <laughs> emphasis throwing it to where he could maximize his potential and to capitalize. And defenses never really adjusted for it. So that's one way that he took advantage of it. I, I think that really shows Fedor's willingness to be adaptive and to change things. Now, the other point is ever since Fedora arrived in Chapel Hill, and for most of his time at Southern Miss, besides his first year, he's known who his starting quarterback was going to be, right? I mean, he came in, he knew it was going to be Renner. You know, when, when Fedora was hired at his introductory press conference, uh, Renner's in the back sitting with me and some other guys. He's already got all the plays on his iPad because he's trying to learn it because he knows it's his job. That Renner gets hurt the next year. Marquis steps in, starts the last half of the season. You know he's going to be the guy in 14. And then, of course, Mitch shows up, and everybody knew that Mitch was going to be the guy once Marquise left. Well, this is the, the one year, if you go back to spring ball, they had no idea what they had. And they got three young guys who were all pretty equal. And then they're trying to get a grad transfer, ultimately get Brandon Harris. Your Fedora, as of last week, hadn't even seen in Harris practice because he'd been on vacation and some other things. And so that's one of the questions I'd ask is, you know, in recent years, you've had a pretty good idea who your starter is going to be. And so you were able to spend the summer months kind of designing your offense around his talents. Well, that's not necessarily the case this year. And he acknowledged that is somewhat of a challenge. That's really going to be the test for this, this offensive staff is I think determining who your likely options are going to be, or maybe your, your top two options early in camp so that you can start kind of designing the offense and, and shifting it to make it fit with what that particular quarterback does. And that's one thing I'd be interested in Jason's take on is, is how early in the off season does it start where you start kind of molding and building an offense around a quarterback, even if you've got maybe three or four guys that are all relatively equal and, any one can potentially jump ahead of the others in training camp. That's a really good question. Yeah, and while you're answering that, also answer my half of it is how can you really get a feel for what you've got based off tape, based off high school film, because I know they recruited him. I mean, 
to Greg's point, he doesn't know what he's got. He may not know what he's got until week two, three, four weeks into the season. Yeah, so those two go together really well. I think – so the the primary question really is how quickly do you have to make – how quickly do you have to to zoom into the stuff that the quarterback really does well? And honestly, I don't think it's that early because what they're doing – the basics of the system don't really change. They're still going to be a primary inside zone team in terms of the running game. And, you know, the core stuff of that, of that team is still, is still the same. They're still going to be inside zone, inside zone read base. They're going to have a few other things off of that. They're going to have some RPO stuff with, you know, reading the second level there. They're going to have your, you know, bubble, bubble RPO stuff as well. You know, so if you're reading the second level RPO stuff, what you're what you're looking at is you're you're either handing it off to the running back or you're throwing like a slant or, or what they call a possum route behind the linebacker if the linebacker jumps too quickly. You know, so if you can do that, and then you've got you know your basic pass concepts, and they'll run through the ten or ten or twelve pass concepts that have been most successful across their quarterbacks over the years. I mean, at some level. You find the stuff that you do well, that you've done well, that you're able to teach well offensively, and then over time you figure out what few things your your guys do best. So what happens is as you get late in camp and you start to say, okay, this is going to be our guy, over the course of camp, you keep having meetings with your different quarterbacks, and this is something that I, I know Coach Heck is really good at, is he actually will have his quarterbacks write down what, what are you most comfortable with? What If I'm going to give you a two-minute and you have to march the ball down the field, what are the plays that you feel most comfortable with right now? And the quarterbacks have to give him their answers to that stuff because he wants to know what they really feel comfortable with, what they have grasped and all that. And that gets to the second question of how much can you sort of go off a of film and all this before you get a guy. Quite a bit in a lot of respects. You know what throws the kid has been able to make in the past. You know what limitations he's shown on that tape in terms of certain throws or types of runs or, or athletic ability that you can expect from him. So that's, that actually gives you a pretty good basis because some guys you go, okay, we're going to have to throw to the boundary with this guy. Or you know, this guy can make all the throws between the numbers. He throws, you know, well in these zones, but he's struggled on bucket throws, you know, down the field, this sort of thing. You know what you can get in terms of of the tape on that. And a lot of that, that stuff is probably not going to change over the course of, you know, one preseason coaching a guy in camp and then into the season. You're probably not going to get a lot of changes on those things in terms of what those strengths and weaknesses are. So you can have a sense there. What you don't have a sense of is how quickly does this guy pick up the past concepts that we're going to ask him to do? How quickly is this guy going to be able to identify the underneath coverage player in a cover three look when we run a snag concept? How quickly is he going to be able to process the way that we run our protections? That stuff you don't really know until you actually get the guy on the field and you say, okay, we're going to run the snag concept, who's your underneath coverage guy? And if, you know, if he starts throwing that interception over and over again, you start going, uh Oh, (laughs) he's not picking it up. Right. That's when you don't, that's what, that's what you can't know until you get a guy in practice. And that's the stuff that right now is really the, 
the unknown with Brandon Harris is how quickly is he going to be able to pick up the basics of what they of what they run and how quickly is he going to be able to show comfort with the the core stuff that they run that will allow them to customize that to what he does. So what happens is late in camp, once you've got your hands on the kid and you say, okay, he does, you, you've, you've thrown your 15 core pass concepts that you've run over the years with success at him. And let's say he shows real comfort with six of them. And then you add that to the base running packages, which really aren't going to change regardless of who your quarterback is. You may run the quarterback a little more or less, but that stuff's not going to change by and large. It's just a matter of how much you call certain stuff. Then you say, okay, well, these are the, the six passing concepts that we're going to marry with that. We need to make sure we get him a little bit more proficient in this number seven and eight. And that's what we're going to war with. Right. And that's what you do. And then maybe, you know, you've got another quarterback who's comfortable with another six. Well, you're going to keep repping with the ones. You're going to keep repping the six that the number one guy is comfortable with. And, you know, number two guy is probably going to have to get more comfortable with that stuff. But if number one guy goes down or you have to make a replacement, then the next week you're starting to work more, a little bit more on the stuff that the other quarterback's more comfortable with and has shown that he's, he's able to do more proficiently in practice. So it's actually not as much about shaping like you have to change change the whole offense and oh you know we have to teach every position different plays and all this no you in, mo- the way this normally works is you install your offense which is going to include a bunch of stuff and yeah maybe you add a few extra things in the offseason for a Trubisky like well we haven't been able to do this in the past but we can with him so we're going to add these three extra concepts that we just haven't been able to do which they did some of that well with the, you know you don't maybe you don't do that but what you do normally is you install your whole offense, and then what happens is, as the season approaches, everybody pairs down for preparation, weekly preparation, to the stuff that they know they do well. And that can happen pretty late in the process because you, know, you, you still have to be able to do what you do. And then it's a matter of just figuring out what stuff that you do that you do best, and then you call those things. So it's, it's pretty straightforward, actually. And, and I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference in terms of their ability to teach the offense or, you know, it's not going to stunt the growth of the guys behind him if, he's, if they have to change, make certain changes or, or call some stuff more often for him. The other guys are going to still be running the same, same basic offense. It's just a matter of how much you call stuff. Jason, have you been able to see enough of Harris from his time in LSU to formulate an opinion of his talents or is it too early? Oh, I, I've seen quite a bit of Harris. I, yeah, I, 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 uh, I've, I've watched a, a good bit of Harris at LSU and I've watched some since it became clear that he was likely to transfer to UNC. I've gone back and looked at some other stuff. So I've got a, I've got a decent sense of what he's capable of. And frankly, I like him. I, I think he can be a, a better player at North Carolina than a lot of people expect. You know, I, I don't get out of the question that they could end up having a year out of him similar to what uh, the Virginia Tech quarterback, whose name is escaping me from last year, Jared Evans, uh, had there. Yeah, Jared, Jared Evans. I, I mean, I think that kind of I mean, he's a little different kind of player, but that kind of, of production is totally possible with him as a, as a graduate transfer in this offense, because I think he was completely mismanaged at LSU. He went in and, you know, he was a kid that. That when, I, I have no idea why he decided, given his his talent, specific package of talent, his uh, strengths and weaknesses, I have no idea why he would go to LSU in, to begin with, other than you know maybe home state appeal or whatever. But 
he, you know, he was a, he was a fish out of water in that offense. They asked him to do stuff that he just never got comfortable and never, the thing that just, that sticks out to me is you watch him and he just never looks in rhythm in their offense. They never allowed him to get comfortable. And, and, and I blame that on their coaching staff. And there were a few times where you see in two minute or in, in a few cases where they went spread and he was able to throw a few times in a row that he flashed some ability. So, you know, that's the thing is the guy in terms of arm, I think he's, there's some similarities between him and say a Deandre Francois at, at Florida state, very, very strong arm throws a tight spiral, uh, can fit the ball into windows naturally. Uh, sometimes gets a little dead in his legs and, and can throw all arm from that, which can hurt his accuracy at times. But the thing is, he's capable of making throws most guys can't make. He lacks the, the one thing that I would like to see is he lacks a little bit of touch sometimes on some of the deeper stuff, as some of those really strong arm guys do sometimes. But he can make every throw in this offense, and he's probably a legit 4'6". I mean, he's a really good athlete. But what LSU asked him to do is hand the ball off, hand the ball off. Oh, it's third and long. Now we're going to ask you to throw downfield in the teeth of a pass rush. While you're not comfortable, you've never, we've never let you get comfortable throwing it on first down and getting a few rhythm throws. And now we're going to ask you to throw on third down into the teeth of a tough pass rush. That, that's a formula for killing a quarterback. And that's something that Fedora and, and Heck and, and uh, Gunter Brewer and the rest at Carolina understand. You give a guy a few early, easy throws that he's able to find his rhythm and get a little bit of confidence and get into, you know, into a little bit of a flow. And I think this kid can actually be a pretty good player because he's shown the ability to hit spots and he's got a strong arm, he, you know, and it's not just the arm strength. It's the, it's, it's ability to place the ball in certain cases. It's just when he's out of rhythm, he's really out of rhythm. So that that's going to be the, the issue is managing him early in games. I'd love to see them getting, getting him some early, like quick slants and bubble throws and things that are going to give him the ability to get a ball out quickly and feel like he's getting having success. Because if he can get in rhythm, I think he can be really good. The hard part is if he ever starts to get out of rhythm, finding a way to get him back into it. And that, because there were times you could see his head hang and all that. He just, he never got his confidence at, at LSU. And that's going to be, I think, the big thing for them to be able to do in this, in this offense. You you kind of went where I was going there at the very end, the confidence deal. I mean, he had a rough time at LSU, like you've talked about, like we've all seen. That's the key. So how how do they do that? Like you said, they just kind of work him in easy? Do they throw him in the fire? Do they peel back the playbook? I mean, it's a it's a fine line the staff has to <laughs> to run with him. So your take on how they will do it. Well, I think the first thing is you go through your normal installation. You treat him just like everybody else. It's a, it's a quarterback competition. You treat him just like everybody else and you make him, you make sure that when he's going through the drills and all this, that, that you're, you're putting all of your quarterbacks. And I believe very strongly in in making sure in your drills, in your one-on-ones, your seven on sevens, all the things that you're doing to, to, to shape a quarterback early in camp, you want to make sure that your quarterbacks are in position where they're having success. So you don't overload him early. You say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna install these four concepts today, or these three concepts today, these two con- whatever you can do, and then you do those, and you do those until you have success, and then you build on success, 
And as he has success, then you try to make sure that you then put the next concept in and then the next concept and all that stuff can build off of itself. And if he starts to have some success, that success breeds confidence and the confidence breeds success. And then you get into that nice cycle. So to me, it's just about giving him, especially you start with, with, with concepts early on in the offense that he, that are going to be things that he, you think based on tape, he's going to be able to throw and be able to throw with some, with some initial confidence. So, you know, you install some of your short throwing packages and things like that. And you're making sure that he's getting those completions early on. And, and I think the same approach happens in games where early in games, you want to give him the opportunity to make a couple throws, to get the jitters out and get a couple completions early. Cause I think that makes a huge difference with this kid. And it's just a matter of managing it that way. So, you don't throw the whole playbook at him day one. You do your normal install. Okay, day one, we're going to install these three or four quick game packages, and we're going to throw these routes, and we're going to make sure you're throwing them on time and all, all that. And as he get, as he does those right, you move into the next thing. Simple as that, and at that point, it's up to the kid. Greg, your take on how they'll split reps in practice. I mean, it's going to be different than it has been, like you mentioned the last – <laughs> two, three, four, five years. Well, so your your take on that. Harris hadn't been there in the spring, hadn't been there over the summer really. Your take on how they do it. Well, I think in the spring they pretty much split reps, I guess, in thirds. And they rotated guys in terms of the day. So with there being fifteen practices, each guy got five days primarily with the ones, although they did rotate them uh, with the first team, second team each day in addition to each of the 15 practices. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question. Probably going to be Nathan Elliott taking ones on the first day of camp on August 2nd. Uh, And kind of like Jason says, Harris will have to slowly work in. And I found it pretty funny that Larry Fedora, like like he tends to do, (laughs) really downplayed uh, the presence of Brandon Harris at the ACC kickoff down in Charlotte, saying, well, the first thing he's got to prove is that he understands the playbook. Like, can he actually read a playbook and understand what the plays <laughs> ask for him to do? If he does that, then he'll be able to challenge for playing time. Right? Yep. Which it's you know, as you're listening to Larry say that, how he doesn't break out into a laugh, I don't know. Uh, but that's just kind of how he operates. Well, it's because and, he's and, actually being honest there. I mean, that really is it. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, Harris, is, Harris has been around long enough that, uh, if, if that was ever an issue, and again, that's that's bare bones. Yes, that's <laughs> clearly important. But I, I think yeah. that kind of takes into account the fact that uh, you know, Fedora is really kind of downplaying the situation. That I mean, I think said, that's important to do for the team. I mean, that that's what? one of those things. You've got a new guy coming in, and these other guys have relationships with these with with the quarterbacks who are already on the roster you got to make sure that they understand that this guy has got to earn his position just like everybody else. And and, sure. and that has Absolutely. to be clear. He has to actually and go out and be the best with quarterback. And one thing I talked with MJ Stewart about was what he really liked about Harris is that clearly he's learning everything, learning all the, the rhythms and everything. But he's been really good in the 7-7s seven of after he makes a mistake, whether it be an incomplete pass, uh, interception, whatever, he would come to MJ or he'd come to Donnie Miles and say, all right, guys, what did I do wrong there from your perspective? How can I improve on that? What did you see? 
Um, and when you're, you know, it's one thing to ask wide receivers, but when you're you're asking the other side of the ball, because MJ and Donnie, of course, and all the defenders know the offense like the back of their hand, I think that kind of gives a little bit of indication. So, for sure, uh, you got to make sure he knows the basics. But assuming that that's not going to be an issue, as he comes into camp, I think the guys from the spring will get the initial reps. But Harris very quickly will come up to speed. And with the five-day acclimation period, as silly as that is these days, I think by the end of that five-day period, when we get to talk to Fedora for media day that second week, it would not surprise me at all to see that all the quarterbacks by that point in time were splitting reps equally. And then as you start getting into scrimmages, which will start not long after that, that's when you really start to see some separation that's when you really start to see a depth chart start to be formed. Uh, and then, of course, you know, having three scrimmages in training camp, you really get to utilize those opportunities to see exactly where each of these guys stands. I agree with that by and large. I mean, I, I, I think, again, most, co- most coaches actually tend, even if you've got a guy that you, that you think that you know is going to be the number one guy, you actually early in camp try to give – pretty close to equal reps to your quarterbacks anyway, in part because you don't want your, your number one guy to throw his arm out early in camp. So, you know, you want to make sure that everybody's getting those reps. And what happens is the first two weeks of camp, you're going to split, they're probably going to split reps in, in quarters. And then what happens is the guys that grade it, that grade highest in those first two weeks are going to start moving up. And then eventually by weeks three and four, you're going to start getting the pecking order. And that, that's, that's just the natural order of that in, in these camps. Do we all agree before I close the show that this discussion is the most important discussion for Carolina football going into the fall? I, I, it's hard to argue that when you have a when you have a total question mark at that at that most important position in team sports, that that's not your biggest discussion point going into into camp. So you know that's 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 hard to argue against that. By the way, I do think you know again that they've got some other bodies. I mean, we talked a lot about Brandon Harris here. I do think that they've got some other guys on this roster that can be successful quarterbacks at this level, uh, particularly uh, the, the two redshirt, redshirt freshmen, uh, Surratt and Bird. Surratt is a guy that, you know, again, we, we've got our, uh, uh, our, my uh, analysis of, uh, of his mechanics and just a couple things that he was working on this summer up on Inside Carolina now. But Surratt is a guy that can be a really dynamic player if he just gets a little more consistent from the pocket. So, I mean, they, they've got some options here, even if Harris – you know, comes in and disappoints, which I don't expect. I think he's going to be pretty darn good in this offense. But even if he, he you know, he gets hurt in game one or whatever, I think they can be. I think they can do all right with the guys they have on the uh, on the roster as it is. Yeah, and, and Tommy, the, the one component we haven't talked about, and it kind of addresses that question that you asked, is that the offensive line has a lot of experienced veteran guys that have more depth than they've ever had uh, since Fedora's been in Chapel Hill. Bringing in those two grad transfers gives you just a lot of experience. And that's one thing Bentley Spain talked a lot about at ACC kickoff is, hey, we've now got bodies, we've got talent, we've got leadership, we've got veterans up there. And that's one of the reasons he said, you know what? We're not so concerned with how the quarterbacks are going to play early because we really believe that our offensive line is good enough not only to protect the quarterback and to buy some time, but also to generate a very good ground game, regardless yep. of who's back there. And that's another position that's a question mark. But kind of his point was, 
you while the skill positions are really up in the air on the offensive side of the ball heading into camp, uh, I think I think the coaching staff and the offensive line guys really feel uh, strongly about how good that offensive line can be. And if you have a good starting foundation there, it makes everything else easier, and it really takes pressure off the ground game for, for sure. Football's yeah. one in the trenches. I've always thought that. I always believe that. And I think Carolina's offensive line certainly will lend its hand helping Harris or whoever get acclimated, whoever's in the running game and whoever's out on the edges. Jason and Greg, we'll leave it there for this podcast, but I know we will get back together as camp gets started next week. Guys, thanks for joining me. It's fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to Inside Carolina Radio, brought to you by johnnytshirt.com, where Inside Carolina members get 10% off their everyday online orders. We'll talk to you again soon.